Good evening. So um, thank you for coming on a different night. It's nice to see all of you. Um, and I think everyone who's here tonight is on the email list, but just um, to just to make sure we're well, actually, and also for people who might be listening, and actually, just some people just access this through the podcast. Um, so, um, so next week we'll be back on Tuesday, and I've circulated um, uh, a brief text by Pema Chodron called "The In Between State," um, which I encourage people to read. Um, actually, soon so that it can inform your sitting for the rest of the week. Um, and maybe read it even twice this week. Um, um, and then next Tuesday, we'll sit to begin the evening and then I will read an abridged version of that text, just excerpts from it. Um, and I'll just, we'll just, I'm gonna leave space for people to say whatever they want um, in response to the text, um, sharing experiences, thoughts, whatever you like. Um, I might have things I also want to throw in there, but it's um, really the whole point is for um, it to be a genuinely just group sharing discussion experience. Um, I think there'll be a couple ground rules that I'll I'll remind everyone of um, when we start, which is um, I think no giving advice to other people, and no crosstalk. Just sharing from your own personal experience, you know. Just um, what actually, you know, and speaking from your own, yeah, experience of of practice and of the text. Um, and I think just if we do that, I think there'll be a tremendous amount to be gained just by um, listening to each other. And um, and there might be stretches of silence once the floor is open, and that also would be lovely. It doesn't it doesn't need to be um, full of speech. So um, to get to tonight's topic, um, so there are two sittings that I like us to do. The first one will begin very shortly, and it'll be a recap of the um, soft belly practice that we did last week. Um, and then I'll say a few words introducing the next practice, which will be um, Ezra and Elizabeth at San Diego Zen Center call it heart's breath. Uh, I don't know how other people... Um, what other people call it, if, but it's um, basically breathing in and out of the heart center. Um, and, um, and then I'll uh, include along with that, um, it's just a very, very brief sort of snippet of, of something that's like loving kindness practice. Um, but don't worry about it now, but it's just gonna be, it's not, it's not gonna be full on loving kindness practice. It'll just be, uh, breathing in and out of the heart center. Um, and um, yeah, it's actually like, it's a really powerful practice. Um, 
and we'll just get a taste of it tonight. And then it'll be interesting to see how, how it feels for people. But um, both the soft belly practice and the heart's breath practice that we're gonna do later, I see as um, moving us in two different related directions. Um, one is, I think, getting us more actively in touch with um, a certain kind of warmth or kindness, I think ideally is both the fruit um, and in a way, um, the fruit of practice, but also part of what practice, the, the path is supposed to feel like. Um, and um, so there's a kind of activation of kindness, warmth, love, whatever word you want to use for it. Um, and the other um, thing I'm trying to touch on in um, focusing on these practices right now is um, a kind of softening of the kind of control that we can like to exercise when we practice. Um, um, a giving oneself over to the process of practice rather than always trying to direct it, trying to manage it. Um, I think that it takes a certain kind of person, I think, to throw themselves into practice. It takes a certain kind of self-discipline, certain kind of willpower. Um, it's um, the Buddha described the path of practice as swimming against the stream. I think it swims against the stream of both big part of our nature, which is, I think, to feel identified with a self and to be caught up in passions and desires and attachments. Um, but also is to swim against the stream of, I think, what our world often asks us to do. Um, it's so to do this at all, I think, um, takes an unusual kind of character um, to keep bringing ourselves to this practice day after day when I think many, many of those days we may not actually want to, it may not feel very good, it may feel quite hard. Um, and a lot of what practice is, is really careful focusing, um, disciplined awareness, attention. And so all that is really important, admirable, I think in many ways necessary. But there is a way in which the very things that um, bring us to practice, keep us here when the going gets tough, can also cause their own difficulties on the path. The very kind of discipline that we bring to this, a kind of careful attentiveness, that sometimes taught kind of awareness that we bring to practice can sometimes um, uh, produce a sense of kind of control, you know, in 
um, a certain tightness in the quality of our awareness um, that ultimately needs to soften if we're to go very far on this path. So it, this is not about a mistake. It's not about an error. Actually, I think it's important to have the discipline I'm talking about, a certain kind of taut energy, certain um, even willpower. That takes us somewhere very important. So it's not a mistake. But after a certain point, it's important to feel our way into what it is to give ourselves over to this process, which then unfolds beyond our control. Um, and it's, it's hard to find the right language to describe this giving over. Um, but I think one of the real benefits of heart practices and soft belly practice, which I see uh, um, as a kind of heart practice, is that they enable us, I think, to get a feel for what I'm talking about. Um, what it is to not feel like we need to manage our sittings carefully, that we don't need to always have our practice under control. What is it to give control over to the process itself? Um, so, and then I think that really, once we can get a feel for that, the heart practice has really come alive because activating the heart, residing in the heart is really about giving ourselves over to something that's not controlled by the head. Um, and I think for each of us, what it feels like to be in a way carried by the process will, will be different. I think each of us will find a slightly different way into it. And I think the stuff that I talked about last week, but I think especially the stuff I'm gonna talk about tonight, there's no one right way to do it. In fact, I think part of, part of what I'm trying to communicate is that it's not about doing it the right way. Um, and so, you know, there's gonna be moments where I say, try this phrase or try another. Do you like the word love? Or does the word kindness work better for you? Um, when you, when uh, there'll be certain phrases I'll offer, like, may I dwell in the open heart? Or extending kindness to myself, exactly as I am. Or there'll be times I say, just use the word kindness, just alone, you know? And there is not one phrase that is right or better than any of the others. It's about feeling in your own experience, which ones get you in touch with a certain kind of energy that feels like softer, warmer, more open, less tight, and trust the feeling and go with the feeling. So, um, even what the practice is will require a certain kind of improvisatory, giving yourself over to the flow. 
And so if a certain phrase doesn't work for you, don't use it. Try something else. Um, and I, so I, I really want, so I, what doesn't work, what doesn't feel right to you, don't do it. Go with what feels right. This is about feeling your way in. It's not about following rules or procedures. So this is of the essence of exactly what this practice is about, that it can't be governed by rules. Um, so um, unlike thought labeling, unlike how we can describe following the breath, those things you can describe pretty precisely. Of course, what it is to actually do them also requires its own touch. I think this practice, heart practices are even looser and softer. And I think you need to be even more willing to say, that, that word, that phrase doesn't do it for me. Maybe for me it has too many associations that don't, you know, that aren't so good. Let me go for this, you know, let me try that out. Um, Sharon Salzberg, when she teaches loving kindness practice, offers certain phrases like, and, and says, but if these don't work, try others. And that's exactly what I'm saying to you. Um, do not get hung up on what it is to do it right. And, um, and some of you will have a stronger urge to do it the right way than others, but that is precisely the kind of tendency that this practice is trying to soften. So, um, so anyway, that was maybe longer than it needed to be, but let's begin with soft belly practice. I think it's one of the one best ways to get into the feel of this, just giving oneself over. So um, please get in a comfortable position. Settle into that position, feel, feel yourself sitting. The weight of the body. Let the breath come and go its own rhythm. And to begin, don't worry about where the breath is, whether it's the belly, the chest, whether it's soft or tight, just let the breath be as it will. And then very slowly, gently, gradually, bring your awareness down into the belly. And just begin to soften the belly so that it can receive the breath. This is not about deep belly breathing. It's definitely not about forcing the breath into the belly. This is simply softening the belly so that the breath can on its own move farther down. So the belly has room for the breath. But the breath may still be shallow, 
may not be anything like what you'd call deep, and that is totally okay. If you notice any holding or tension, soften your awareness around that tension. Let it be there. And if the tension itself will soften, release, then allow it to. But if it won't, just soften around it and let it be. Let the tension float within an awareness that allows it to be there. The beautiful thing about this practice is it's so simple. It's just only one thing that you're sensing is just the relative tightness or openness, softness or hardness of the belly. Just invite the belly gradually to continue to soften, to open. And when you encounter tension or hardness, just soften around that tension or hardness and let it float. You're not worried about thoughts. You're not worried about sounds. You're not worried about anything. Just the belly and just opening and softening. You may notice that sometimes when you try to soften, that that'll actually produce tension. Effort of any kind will manifest as a kind of tension or holding in the belly. And so just take that tension or holding as a wonderful sign that you're trying too hard. You don't need to try at all. 
there is no ideal pace at which the belly should soften. There is no ideal state of softness the belly is supposed to attain. It's just the ongoing process of softening, even if that means softening into what may be some various forms of tension or holding. Whatever you find, you can soften around, soften into. One of the reasons our bellies are so often hard and tight is because we're holding a lot of grief or fear, or other kinds of hard emotions. So if you encounter anything like that, don't be surprised, but please be gentle, be soft with whatever you find. Make room for whatever you find, gentle space. Some of you may be feeling a desire to understand what is going on, to try to assert a certain kind of control by figuring out what this practice is doing, why it feels the way it does. If you notice that, just smile at that tendency and go back to just softening the belly and see if you can trust the belly to carry this process on its own. There's actually no need to understand anything.
as you soften the belly, there are new layers of tension or holding will reveal themselves, will emerge into awareness. And just slowly continue the process of softening and opening ever deeper. Think of softening not as something to do, but as the relaxation of the urge to do anything. Finally, a putting down of the need to be doing something. There's nowhere to go, nothing to do. Just be here with the belly. Okay. All right, we'll take a little break, talk for just a little bit, and then we'll get to the heart's breath. Um, before we move on, I just wanna leave some space in case anyone wants to say anything about how that experience was, um, especially if you were here last time, if there's anything different or just another layer that you may have noticed. No need to, but just, I, I definitely, this would be a good moment if people want to share. Okay. So, um, the heart's breath is a little bit like the soft belly practice in that it, I don't know what the right word is. It's very physical. It's not like about, um, you know, so the belly, you know, this practice we did, it has something to do with some special quality of the belly itself. You know, the way the belly, you know, the way that Stephen Levine talked about as a diagnostic instrument, the belly is 
a perfect diagnostic instrument. You can feel when the mind and the self are active um, in how the belly feels. And, um, and it has a special power to, to give you feedback on how the mind is doing. Um, so it's a place in which like a certain quality of our being is actually located physically in a certain part of our body. And the same thing is true of the heart. Um, so the practice is actually very, very simple. Um, so um, actually, if you, especially if you're not super familiar with this, but maybe even if you are, it can be really good to put a hand over the center of your chest. Um, so it's actually, it's, uh, it's, it's in, your, on, in the center of your sternum or breastbone. Um, yeah, maybe like three finger widths above where the, the sternum starts, the bottom. But anyway, like, and you don't have to have the exact spot, just put your palm over that center of your chest area. And the practice is to breathe in, visualizing the breath being drawn in directly through that heart space. So visualize the breath being drawn in through the center of your chest. Obviously it can't literally be, but feel it being drawn in there. And then exhale through that same spot, visualizing the breath, the exhale through the heart space. Having the hand there can really give you kind of this um, kinesthetic feedback, like so you know where to bring your awareness, where to visualize the breath. That's why having the hand there can be useful. And also be nice to feel like this heart space, which can be very tender and raw sometimes is being supported too. So sometimes it has that extra quality as well. So it's just breathing in and out through the heart space. That's why it's called the heart's breath. And as you breathe in and out, feel the sensations in the center of the chest as the breath goes in and out through this area, just like you would through the, when you are aware of the breath in the nose, the same textured intimate awareness of the sensations here. So for those of you who are used to belly breathing, feeling the belly expand with the breath, this is actually gonna be different. It's gonna, the chest will be the first place to expand as you breathe in. And that's just shows that there's no one right way to breathe. For some of you, the center of the chest will feel tight, almost armored. For some, it'll be very raw, very tender. For some, it will be open, warm. There's no one right way to, for it to feel and it may change throughout the course of the rest of the evening. Now, as you continue to breathe in and out, 
you might try a few different phrases, which I'm going to throw a few different options out. Just continue following the breath. I'm going to throw a few options out. Feel free to ignore them all and just simply follow the breath at the level of sensation. But I find that it can be very helpful to have a few simple phrases accompany this as a way of deepening or sort of my connection with the heart. But it, this is the place where I think you need to experiment. So I often like to say to myself, breathing into the heart as I inhale, or even breathing love into the heart. It really just reminds me that I am breathing into the heart space. I'm not just doing any old kind of breathing, but I'm breathing into the heart. Sometimes I just use the phrase once in a while or every other breath. The rhythm doesn't have to be, in fact, should not be robotic. Whatever works for you. If it helps keep your focus in the heart, then maybe every other breath, maybe every breath for you. Now drop that phrase on the inhale and try this one on the exhale. As you exhale, breathing out through the heart, try saying to yourself, may I dwell in the open heart. And of course the words are not what matters, it's a sentiment. Can you wish for yourself that you dwell in the space of the open heart, that your heart be open? And as you use these phrases, remember to keep your awareness also on the sensations in the center of the chest. It really is a physical practice. We're not just breathing, we're breathing into the heart. And that is really a key part of what we're doing here. Another phrase to try on the exhale, and I like this one, is extending kindness to myself exactly as I am. And just wish yourself well-being, wish kindness upon yourself, but exactly as you are right now. Perhaps you prefer the word love to kindness. You could say extending love to myself exactly as I am. And sometimes I just say the word kindness as I exhale or love as kind of shorthand. Perhaps we're saying, breathing into the heart on the inhale. And as I exhale, kindness, I'm just wishing myself 
well-being. So we had a lot of options. You could say nothing at all, just breathing it out through the heart space. And you could try some combination of the phrases I suggested or come up with a different one of your own. Let's just do this for a few minutes in silence now. And if the hand, if you want to put your hand down, you can, or you can keep it up, whatever feels best to you. And for this last minute, you might try extending these good wishes, whatever phrases have worked for you to all beings. So may all beings dwell in the open heart or extending kindness or love to all beings exactly as they are. Okay, I want to pause here for a few moments and just say a bit more, and then we'll do a little bit more of this um, to end the evening. So there are a couple things I just want to sort of highlight, and I, I would like to hear too how it was for people. Um, if this is the first time you're doing a heart practice, it can be a little hard. It can feel weird, awkward, and it's something that I just urge you to be patient with, to stick with it. Um, it's a thing, it's a kind of practice that really unfolds slowly um, on its own, but it is priceless. Um, so there are just a couple of things I wanna say. One is that phrase exactly as I am, extending kindness to myself exactly as I am. It may not, so uh, I, I, like I, really want to emphasize these, some of these phrases just may not work for you. Just chuck them. I'll say why I suggested that phrase because it's so easy to do a heart practice with this kind of sense that you're trying to change how you feel. Like I'm, I'm, you know, may I be happy? You know, the classic love and kindness lines, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be peaceful. And it's almost like you're trying to generate a feeling that somehow you feel like you don't have that you want to have. And that's why I add that phrase exactly as I am. It's a reminder to myself. Actually, no, 
I want to be kind and open heart to myself exactly as I feel right now, even if how that feels is close hearted, even if how that feels is like armored. It's not trying to produce an effect. Um, now, if I can actually genuinely be open to myself as I am, including sometimes an armored, closed off heart, that will often have the effect, not always, of softening the heart, but it's precisely because I'm okay with myself as I am. So, um, so you may not need that reminder, but whether you need the reminder or not, I think it's important to know that this isn't about producing some kind of feeling that you may not have. It often has the effect of producing a certain kind of feeling, but that is not the goal. In fact, the feeling is more naturally produced precisely when you can open to yourself as you are. That is the essence of truly accepting how we are. So that phrase, exactly as I am, is a reminder to myself, which I find I need. Um, and so when I do like extending kindness, I can often say like, okay, I want to feel kindness. I'm trying to produce a feeling kindness. But when I say exactly as I am, it's like, oh yes, I don't have to try. You know, it's just, it's just as I am. So that's why I just wanted to explain why that slightly awkward extra few words are there. I think I find it really helpful. Um, and it's, you know, I think all genuine loving kindness practice is really about being open to yourself as you are, but it's so easy to misinterpret it as you're trying to produce a feeling, you know, somehow like generate an energy, which isn't somehow like already there when really the truth is it's always there. We're just letting it come forth. Um, so um, actually, okay, I was gonna share one little passage. I'm gonna share another. Um, so this is, I'm gonna read the first few lines of what is her life about, a text that I think everyone who's on this call now is familiar with, it's from Ezra Beta. Uh, and I'm just reading the first few lines um, and I'll tell you why in a second. So what's our life about? Our aspiration, our calling, our desire for a genuine life is to see the truth of who we really are, that the nature of our being is connectedness and love, not the illusion of a separate self to which our suffering clings. Now, the reason I'm reading these lines right now is because as I was thinking about tonight, I remembered a actually an in-person Tuesday night class, I think like a year and a half ago, you know, um, I mean, it had to be at least a year ago, it was, you know, pre-COVID. Um, and there was a person who came regularly to that class. Um, and that night I had spent talking about this text. And after class, ended, he came up to me kind of sheepishly. He'd been sitting for decades. You know, this is, he was not new to meditation, but he came up to me like, and sort of like waited for most of the other people to leave or to, you know, be getting their shoes on. And he and I were alone. Um, and he said, you know, that line that the nature of our being is connectedness and love. Do you know that to be true? Or is this just something 
that you believe, you know, or that you think is true. And I was deeply moved that he asked me this. Um, it was really a touching moment. Um, basically, he was saying, like, after all these years of practice, I can't say with full conviction that that is true. Like, I want it to be true, but can you tell me if it is? It's like, and he was asking me, do you know from your own experience that it is? Um, and I said, yes, it is true. It's not something I take on faith. Um, it's something that I have experienced. Um, and I know it to be true um, in a way that I can't doubt. Um, but I think it was such a, it was such a, and he was, he was glad to hear that. But I think I also know that in a certain way, you can't help but doubt whether it's really true until you've experienced it. Um, there are certain, th it's interesting, it's like Buddhism isn't like a creedal faith. It's not the kind of, you know, it's not a religion that's based on believing certain creeds, you know, and, and professing faith to a certain set of principles. Um, and yet I think there is a certain amount of faith that's necessary to undergo, especially the difficult in-between states, stages, you know, that we're going to talk about next week where, you know, you're committed, but you haven't yet tasted the fruits of the practice in a certain way. And you really want to believe, you kind of believe, but you don't know. Um, and I think that, um, when we don't really have full faith, it's easy to think that the love that we practice when we do love and kindness is something that we don't have, that we need to somehow manufacture, that we need to create. Um, and yet actually it's always there. And the practice is better understood as a making space for what is always there to come forth. Um, rather than producing something that otherwise wouldn't be there. And so um, I think I just want to acknowledge that we are in different, different, different people are in different places along this journey of, of doubt, faith, conviction, whatever the right terms are. Um, but um, It's, I think, good to know that the practice is not about producing something that we don't already have, but uncovering something that is truly who we really are. Um, and when you, when you just think about it that way, then you realize that any effortfulness in the practice, I think this is, this is really why I'm putting, saying this, because it has a practical um, sort of uh, implication. Anytime you feel like you're trying to create loving kindness, you can know that you're kind of like on the wrong path. It's about softening into experience, letting it come forth on its own, letting yourself be as you are, even if that is completely iron-hearted, being open to that. 
it is never going to come because you make it come. It's only ever going to come when you can rest in whatever your experience is like already, exactly as it is. Because it's so easy, and I, I say this from my own experience, to think it's something you got to make happen. Um, and you can exert a lot of energy and create a lot of tension by going at it that way. But it's never going to come that way. Because um, it's not something that we can ever lack. Um, so one of the things that we'll feel I want to share just another little thought. When we do a practice like this, and Hugh, I think, touched on it last time, is a kind of like real hardness um, in the center of the chest. Sometimes people can also feel in the belly. I just want to read a very, very short passage from Stephen Levine. It's from his book that I've been using a lot of different bits from guided meditations, explorations, and healings. And specifically on the point we've been using, um, this exact spot, which by the way, he associates, I don't know how many of you are acupuncturists or no acupuncture, but with conception 17, you know, that's a particular spot, an acupuncture spot. Um, but that place is the place we can feel this outpouring of warmth and kindness, meta and love but it's also the place we can feel so rock hard and armored. Um, it's also the place we can feel profound grief. Um, so this is just what Levine says. And this is someone who's I mean, basically spent his whole adult life working with people who are dying, grieving. I mean, so he was around us a lot, right? So at the center of the chest, actually the title of this is called Converting the Grief Point to the Touch Point of the Heart. So what I was just calling the heart space, he calls the grief point, but they're the same point. Like you, you meet it initially as a place of hardened grief. As it softens, it turns into a place where you meet the heart, but it's the same point. At the center of the chest on the sternum, the breastbone generally between the nipples is the heart center. It is an energy focal point of considerable tenderness at times, particularly when strong feelings of grief, self-protectiveness, of fear, or loss are present. This ache at the center of the chest is the grief point. It is a mind-body convergence point where long-accumulated mental pain, i.e. grief, has solidified in the body, thick as armoring. It is the long-held aloneness and fear, doubt and anger, so often swallowed down and stuffed into the opening to the heart. This tender heart area, analogous to conception 17 in the energy technology of acupuncture, is the grief point as well as the touch point of the heart. This conversion occurs as grief begins to sink from the mind of separation and fear, resistance and dread into the heart of mercy and loving kindness and pure awareness. In the integration of our pain into our heart, there is no separation to be found, just the unity of being shared in all our lives. So I want to say, just read that because a lot of you, and I, I'm, again, I'm, I don't say, I'm you know, as much as possible, 
I don't, I try not to speak about anything I haven't experienced. And so I, I know, trust me, what it's like to feel armored here. Oh my goodness. I mean, um, I think actually the majority of my life, it felt like a plate of steel in the center of my chest. Um, and, um, and I'm embarrassed to say it's probably, it's like really only the last five plus, you know, or so years where it's really start to soften. You know, I mean, that's like 25 years of practice where it's feeling like, so I'm a slow learner. But um, so when you feel that when you're doing love, loving kindness practice, it can feel like really disoriented, like what's going on? I'm doing loving kindness and my heart feels like a rock. You know, it feels so bad, you know? And I think I want to share what I just did because I want to say like, no, it's not unusual. There's a reason. Um, and hopefully it won't take as long as it took me, but it can soften, you know? And in fact, there is nothing that feels more like a miracle and a gift and to feel that kind of hardening soften. Um, and you realize, oh, this is why we do this, you know? Um, okay. Last thing I want to share, just getting a few things out there. And then I want, is a brief text from, um, Sharon Salzberg's beautiful book called Real Love. I actually posted an re audio recording of um, part of this chapter, but um, I just want to read the, it's the, I'm going to read like the last minute or two of what I recorded again, because it, it really says so much of what this loving kindness practice is really all about. So um, Salzberg is describing the experience that a student of hers had, an actress who had um, come to a 10 day retreat just high as a kite, doing loving kindness practice, feeling so wonderful, full of love, all this stuff. And four days into the retreat, she was a wreck. She felt like, like so lonely, full of shame. She didn't know what the hell was going on. And she was angry at Salzburg for making her feel this bad. And, um, and it basically what she was uncovering was a certain kind of shame that she had repressed when her father left her after divorcing her mother, you know, basically abandoned her at the age of six. And she had internalized the sense of, yeah, of course, I'm, a, I'm broken. I'm a bad kid. Of course, I don't deserve two parents, right? Um, so, so she had kind of buried that inside and carried it until this retreat um, when it all started coming out. And then she said, I don't want to do this. This hurts too much. And Salzburg said, no, keep, you're actually exactly what's supposed to happen is happening. You know, everything's good. Just keep doing it. Keep sitting. And so she did. And then this is how this student described to Salzburg what happened as she continued to sit. And this is really, I think, just such a beautiful description of what loving kindness can do to our practice. This is a student speaking. I began to notice something remarkable. The quality with which I noticed my thoughts and feelings arise and disappear became very gentle and compassionate, like a mother watching her beloved child, a mother interested in each barely perceivable breath, a mother who wasn't going anywhere. Apparently, I was enough. I was worthy of attention by just breathing. That presence became stronger as the loneliness faded. 
Even when memories or sensations of a familiar loneliness would come, they were just memories. I lovingly noticed them come, then pass. I'm going to protect you, precious one, I thought. I'm going to protect you. So I think this is such a beautiful passage. And it describes really, really well the way in which it's not just about how we are aware when we meditate, but the quality of the awareness we bring. So when you are aware of a difficult sensation or an emotion or anything, it's almost like think about, if you were looking at a friend in this way, who was experiencing this, how would your eyes be? Would they be like hard, you know, kind of like staring, you know, would they be judgmental? Would they be impatient? Like, okay, come on, come on, like get going, let's go, let's go, come on, get it together, you know? Um, or would they be like, I'm here, everything's okay, I'm here, you know? So part of what we are doing when we practice loving kindness is softening the quality of the way in which we are just aware of whatever we're aware of. So sensing the quality of our own awareness, the relative hardness, impatience, judgmentalness, or kindness can be a wonderful thing that's where I tend to. It's not just the sensation you're aware of, but what's the quality of that awareness? Can you look at your own pain or craziness with the loving eyes of a mother who's not going anywhere? You know? Okay. So, um, are there any questions? This is just the beginning of, I think we're gonna spend more time than we have in the past on some of these hard things. It's just the beginning. So it's not like you have to get all the questions in, right? But if there's something that's like, wait, I didn't really, I really didn't get that. I, I would love to leave room for that. Hugh, did, was that a hand? Okay. Okay, so if there's no questions, could we sit for four minutes till 8.35 and maybe just continue doing a little bit of the heart's breath? And if you, or if you like the soft belly, you could do that, whatever, whatever's working for you. Again, it's like, you know, it's not about force. This is the opposite of force, it's about softness. So. I'll signal when it's 8.35.
Okay. Good to see you all. Good night. I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>